Welcome. I'm Tichelle Bordier, professor at the, assistant professor at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Um, my research area focuses on African-American bereavement in youth and families cult and culturally responsive practice. I develop shared grief tools for schools. Um, and it is my pleasure now to introduce Exploring Issues of Modern Grief in a Pandemic Era. Want to begin by introducing Allison Gilbert, award-winning journalist. Allison Gilbert is the author of numerous books, including Past and Present, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive. On Gilbert's popular grief and resilience blog, she features Q&As with some of the most notable names in our culture today, including Ariana Huffington, John Stewart, and New York Times bestselling authors Gretchen Rubin, Danny Shapiro, and Susan Orlean. Next, we want to introduce Kathy Corrigan. Kathy Corrigan is the mother of three sons, two of whom uh, she describes as no longer walking this earth. With 25 years of perspective on the mourning process, Kathy has served on the board of bereaved parents of the US for five USA for five years and is currently the board president. Debbie Delabon. Um, after the death of her six-year-old son, Dale Lee Delabon III in 1998, Debbie began to work in his memory with several nonprofit organizations. Debbie has been active with, um, with the Compassionate Friends Grief Support Organization, serving as the founding chair of its diversity commission, and as a former member and president of TCF's National Board of Directors, Dr. Rebecca Morse. Dr. Morse has taught both graduate and undergraduate for 15 years. Um, Director of Research Training at the Institute for the Psychological Sciences and is the current president of the Association for Death Education and Counseling, otherwise known as ADEC. Um, moderating this, this esteemed panel is uh, the phenomenal Glenn Lloyd. Glenn is a bereaved dad, brother, and son. He is a peer grief and loss expert with over two decades of experience in this field. Some brief highlights include founding the Grief Toolbox, uh, which includes a number of incredible resources, producing Walking Through Grief. He's former president of the Compassionate Friends and currently runs Sad OD. Well, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. And um, I just want to remind everyone that the topic we're talking about, um, modern grief in the pandemic era, is really huge. I had conversations with each of our panelists uh, you know, beforehand to try to understand where do we go with this. And the truth is, is that topic could be a doctoral dissertation in and of itself. There's just so much information to be had there. So what we've tried to do is, is we're gonna try to highlight some of the areas that we think are kind of um, important, but we really wanna see this, you ought to see this as the beginning of a conversation because there's so much more to be talked about. So um, I wanna kind of start by, by saying that um, you know, the, the, the pandemic had many different effects associated with it. And there are many things that we were, were, that happened. But one of the things that I think many of you may be asking yourselves are, how do we take some of these things that we have and put them into a practical aspect, whether it's for yourself or for those you serve? And one of the things we wanna to try to address in this panel is both um, how grief has affected those who are actually um, bereaved, as well as those who are helping the bereaved, whether that's in a peer level or as a clinician level. So, so Allison, I'd kind of like to start with you. Um, you know, you and I had a, a wonderful conversation, and, and your 
I guess, expertise or, or specialties seem to be talking a lot about how memories and how they help and affect people in grief. Um, but you also spoke a lot about um, how some of the realities have changed during this period of time, whether it be funerals or celebrations, and how can people address the realities of how things have changed in this time? Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Of course. I think it's really important just to state the obvious, which is that everything is different now because so much of what we're doing is online. And I think the real shift that can bring so much healing is to accept the fact that it's one thing to show up and be a listener, um, but it's another thing to shift your thinking to lean forward and then act on what you hear and what you need. And so just one quick example of that that I like to talk about is that when we talk about social media, often when we are remembering our loved ones, we may uh, post a photograph and then we may look at the comments or see of how many likes the photo got just to make sure that that human being can be honored on that particular day, our loved one, our father, our mom, our brother, our sister, our spouse. I think the social media bit that gets lost is how much more could we get from that transaction if we actually change the comments in our thread in our comments to say, today is the anniversary of my father's death. This is a photo of my dad taken at, and you obviously can fill in the story. I would love it if you would share stories that you may have of my father too, and then tag your family members, invite neighbors and colleagues in, and give them also the platform to engage and crack open that moment on social media for it to truly be social. And you'll likely hear stories that you haven't heard before, maybe even ask people to post pictures um, of that same exact loved one. And maybe you'll see pictures that you also haven't seen before. The tool, though, is to seek the opportunity and to lean in and to be proactive. And I think that's definitely something within our control right now, perhaps more than ever. Thank you very much. And I think that's really important. I like, the, I like the idea of we as grievers sometimes don't realize that part of our role is helping those help us and to let them know that what you're looking for, you're looking for those memories, you're looking to share that. And I think that that is excellent opportunity for that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, with, with our panel about the fact that one of the things that has happened, whether you are newly bereaved, whether you actually became bereaved during this pandemic time, um, you know, how things have been affected throughout all of this, you know, we're all affected with, with our grief and, and we're all affected in, in different ways, but some things weren't able to happen at this moment in time. How would someone who maybe had someone die at this moment in time and their funeral was eight people, how would they potentially handle that? Allison, you want to address that? I'm actually doing a whole bunch of uh, webinars now, e-series about virtual memorials and how to make them the most meaningful possible. And there's just so many opportunities to do so. And one of them is to encourage those 
who you are going to invite to a virtual memorial to not just again show up and listen. A wonderful way of extending that opportunity and making it more meaningful, not just for you, perhaps the immediate family, but to all those who may want to attend, is to offer them the opportunity to record a video um, with their own recollections. And the one uptick that makes it even more special is that now, of course, we all know that this is being recorded, right? So then future people can benefit from this entire conference. The same is true by using Zoom or a similar platform for virtual memorials. Number one, you can keep a recording of all that, ha that has been shared. Two, you see in the chat or the Q&A function the memories that can be also recorded if you invite people to type in during the virtual memorial what they're recalling of that loved one too. But the videos can be incorporated into that. So we all have Zoom fatigue. And to, the way to counter that in a virtual memorial is to allow people not just to speak, but beforehand to gather their thoughts and submit those videos beforehand so you can play them during the virtual memorial. Um, I think it's a great opportunity, especially because the, the entire production of the virtual memorial, you can record. And then you can also send that link to family members and friends and neighbors and colleagues who perhaps couldn't attend that day. And so I think if we use the tools that are at our disposal um, and just ramp it up, just a little bit, recording the chat, making sure that that's there, recording videos so you have that in perpetuity as a living legacy that's recorded online. I think it's a wonderful way of amplifying these tools. Um, so I'm so glad you asked me that, Glenn. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I wanna switch gears here. I wanna to talk to, to Debbie for a moment. Um, uh, Debbie, you and I have known each other for a very long time um, and we have very similar circumstances in that um, we both had um, you know, children die at a, at a, at a young age and, and somewhat of a similar young age. Um, and we are both fairly seasoned grievers. Um, but one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is the fact that um, grief is, is something that until it's kind of smacks you in the face is not something that most people want to talk about. And um, as we were kind of preparing for this, we talked about the fact that um, the, pandem the pandemic and kind of the social isolation has given everybody maybe a little bit more sense of, of, of grief and how that affects things. Could you talk a little bit, Debbie, about how, um, you know, is there an opportunity here to maybe expand the, 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 the way that grief support exists on a larger level associated with kind of some of the things that may have happened with the pandemic? Yes, thanks. You know, we had a really great conversation and it just made me realize that the opportunities that happened uh, for us is that the pandemic, when it began, we had no idea how long it would last. We all hoped it would be over rather soon and all the things, the, the horrible things that have happened, we hoped it wouldn't happen, but it did. So what it did for us is it gave us a chance. We are socially, you know, we had to social distance in our homes. So then it gave us a chance to sit down and start thinking and to have conversations and to have these conversations and, you know, to to jot down your notes and then come back and have another conversation because grief is not just a one-time conversation and everyone grieves differently. And during this time, everyone has lost something. 
and, and we're not going to measure anyone's grief against anyone else's to say yours is worse than mine. People, there's a, there are losses that, you know, you and I talked about, Glenn, of jobs, of homes, family, children, father, you know, all these different types of things, even the way um, we have the services for our, our family members. So we've got all these different types of losses because of this pandemic, which means that we've got everlasting conversations, you know, to, to go on. We, um, and I use this with Glenn, is that we have just gotten into, you know, there's a long, you know, a long driveway up to this huge mansion. So we've driven up to the mansion, we've gone the driveway, and now we're at the door. And this huge mansion, you know, has got numerous rooms, and we've got the conversation to have in each each room that we need to, you know, have. Um, COVID's going to be here past 2020, and it's going to be here past 2021. So these are things that we are left over with, and we slowing down it gives us a gift and a way to answer these questions to have and explain like you know for someone when they say you know say why aren't you over it it's been x amount of years so now we have slowed down to where i can explain this to someone and they can come back and ask a question and we can really really start beginning having conversations we cannot just hear somebody and dismiss it we can hear it absorb it and come back and say you know hey i was thinking about this so and it's, it's really, really important. And everyone, with, you know, has a seat at this table. Every person on this universe has a seat at this table because one way or the other, we will be affected by some type of grief. So we owe it to ourselves to take this time and try and, you know, this, this gap is so huge, trying to like, you know, just close this gap because it affects every one of us. No, none of us are going to get out of here unscathed, not one of us. Um, it, you know, it's just not possible. So if we start understanding, you know, how we each feel, you know, we can sit at a table and all have suffered a different type of loss. And I bet at the end of that conversation, we will find a commonality because it's grief. You know, grief is not pretty. It's 365 days a year. There's no time where you go like, you know, I'm not thinking about it. No one can make you think of your loved one. They're always right there. You know, you just need to push that button or say the next word. You know, for me, Dale is always with me, you know, as, as all of our loved ones are. So we just need to, to be there, you know, and, and conquer the fear of having the conversation. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. We need to not be afraid to approach it. It's not, you know, it's not catching. It's not, it's just, it is what we all need. And I think that once we start covering the gaps in this and putting periods on things of saying that, you know, it's okay to talk about grief. It's okay to talk about death. It's okay to understand why that person after 20, you know, plus years still misses their child, their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, their home, their job, their lifestyle. So we have to start understanding each of those types of grief. And we, then we have to respect each person's type of grief. So I think, you know, this is just the beginning. We've got a long ways to go, but I think this, you know, will open the gap, you know, the door in this mansion to start visiting each room. And guess what? We may have to revisit some of the rooms and that's okay. Thank you very much. I, I like how you, you kind of echoed a little bit some of the things that Allison had said in the sense that, um, you know, one of the realities is as grievers and as people that help you grieve is we have to proactively address this. We have to, we, we have to actually go forth and start those conversations. As you said, not be afraid of the conversation. It's, it's part of humanity. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Kathy, I want to talk to you a little bit about in a sense that um, when you and I spoke, you, you have um, a relatively recent grief event 
in the sense that you know one of your your two boys is is just slightly over one year since his passing, yet you've been involved in the grief and loss world now for a very long time, and you've been involved both as a helper in both um, running grief groups, uh, peer grief groups, and in helping uh, the bereaved parents of the USA and things of that nature. But one of the things you talked about a lot when you and I talked about was the social isolation and how that affected us when we're grieving. And you know, what can we do about that reality? Would you, uh, would you speak a little bit about how that social isolation affects and what are some of the things that might be able to happen? Sure, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I was struck um, by the similarities between um, entering into this pandemic and becoming um, uh, shut down in our houses and um, unable to visit relatives and um, run to the store and whatever. And um, I was struck by the similarities in that kind of physical social isolation to the isolation that I remember feeling when um, my first son died, and that's over 25 years ago. And um, also this most recent loss. Um, and it, it was not, um, it, the difference is, is that the social isolation put on us from the epidemic um, was, was forced upon us as opposed to the self-isolating that happened to me when um, I lost my children both times, um, where I just did not want to um, go out of the house. Um, I shunned invitations um, and um, really needed that time to go inward and help myself grieve and help myself recover. Um, but also I sort of pulled upon what I learned when I was grieving and how I realized that I needed to reach out to other people and uh, reminded myself of that and came up with ways to reach out virtually um, uh, and keep those connections going. Um, and I also um, reminded myself of the tools that I had developed from my grief uh, to help me get through the pandemic. So it was a, it was a really um, interesting phenomenon to compare grief to the uh, uh, social isolation that came from the pandemic and um, to use my grief tools to help me deal with what I was feeling from uh, some of the fear and anxiety that came from the fact that you know, this was a life and death situation. Um, so all those old familiar tools of um, remembering to breathe and um, uh, using uh, books to occupy my time and to learn, maybe learn something new, um, certainly meditation to, to stem the uh, anxiety that I, would, I was feeling. Um, reminding myself to move and to get outside uh, and uh, get some sunshine and fresh air. All of that uh, came into play again for me. Um, so 
I would, I would, as you said, Debbie, we're not, this is not going away soon. Um, I would remind those who have, are grievers and um, have sort of, uh, they're further along the road um, to go back to those initial tools that we um, uh, learned in the beginning and use them again. Um, we may not be able to hug physically, um, but uh, maintaining the connection however you can, over the phone, uh, on platforms like this. Um, you know, my, my chapter meetings can no longer happen uh, in person, but we're, um, we're enjoying our time together, uh, uh, having Zoom meetings. So, yeah. Thank you. That's thank, thank you. I think you're, the big the big thing I would say there is is that um, what you you're kind of trying to emphasize is that um, things have changed, but the old tools still work in the new environment, and they just need to maybe be modified a little bit to make them work. Um, uh, I, I'd like to talk a little bit to uh, Dr. Morse here. Um, Dr. Morse, you're, you're the only clinician among us all. The rest of us have kind of you know we we've we've grown up in in either the peer grief world or we've grown up really more in the in the you know as an author or things of that nature um can you talk a little bit about how maybe you know what is what has this effect been you know the relationship between the pandemic and grief and what are some of the stresses on the system that have maybe occurred and how can we deal with those so my background is as a researcher right so i just wanted to clarify so in the clinical world but on the research and academic side of it and so some of the things that you're seeing is that it's emphasized the isolation, the distancing, the economic stressors have really emphasized or exacerbated disparities in access to care and access to those social support networks. And so we're seeing that there's an opening and an opportunity for a greater reliance on the paraprofessionals. So the individuals who are trained volunteers, who lead chapters, who organize events, but also an interconnectedness. So one of the things that I think we're going to need to see as well is more awareness and training for the paraprofessionals, for the volunteer committee, and when they need to refer to a clinician. And one of the things we're seeing is this is exacerbating underlying mental health issues. So if you had somebody who already had a history of loss, already had a history of trauma, or if they were already either diagnosed or not diagnosed dealing with depression and anxiety, or even PTSD, everything that's going on right now with the social isolation is the exact opposite of what we would typically do, how we would typically help and support these individuals. So we're going to see a greater need and a greater interconnectedness between the volunteer professionals and the clinicians. And they need to learn to work in tandem instead of in parallel tracks, but to have more crossover. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think that's um, really important. And I do think that there's a lot to be had there. You talked a little bit about how William Warden and, and some of the way he spoke of grief maybe applied to this pandemic era. And um, can you maybe express how that similarity may cross over in this reality? 
So one of the things, uh, for those of you that are familiar with William Warden's work and sort of the tasks of grief, one of the things though he talks about is recognizing the loss of your assumptive world. When the things that you relied on, your secure base, if we're talking attachment language, so growing up that would usually be your parent or caregiver, when you lose that, it shifts the fabric of not only your daily life, but your identity. Who am I in this new role? Who am I in the absence of that connection to that person? And right now, we have a situation where even if you haven't had a death loss due to the virus, if you've had any loss, non-death loss or a non-COVID death loss, is that the people around you have also lost their assumptive world. Globally, our assumptive world has shifted off its axis, which means you're not going to have necessarily the same resources because everybody else is also stressed in dealing with their own fear and anxiety and traumas. And so the things that he talks about, about you know, learning to reinvest in life and sort of relocating the deceased. What Allison was talking about before with the online component and the videos, that's a fantastic way to sort of relocate the deceased and to keep their presence alive and also to find meaning making in who that person was to you and to help you recreate your identity. I'm going to add to that is that uh, when J. William Warden talks about the tasks of mourning, the fourth task that he talks about that you must accomplish in order to be, you know, moving forward and resolving your grief is that you must keep the memory of your loved one alive. There is this part of the continuing bonds work that I think is what we're really talking about here. And you can do that work in a virtual world. You can do that mm -hmm. online. And that's the gift that um, I think this conference is allowing us to talk about. Well, I want to thank all of you for your time. And I really do hope that what you all understand is that this is the beginning of a conversation. So thank you all very much for your time. And I really appreciate it. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.